Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Cedrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Heather Hansen gives her clients the tools to advocate for themselves, their ideas, and those around them. She has been a trial attorney for over 20 years and was consistently named one of the top 50 female attorneys in Pennsylvania. Heather uses her psychology degree and her years in the courtroom to help her clients ask for what they want and get it. She's also an anchor at the Law and Crime Network and has appeared on NBC, Fox News Channel, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, and Cirrus Radio. Heather has helped thousands of keynote audience members in Kuwait, Ireland, Mexico, and across the U.S. become their own best advocates. Heather is the author of the bestseller, The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, which Publishers Weekly calls a template to achieving personal and career goals. She's also the host of The Elegant Warrior podcast, and her second book, Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want and Get It, is out now. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Diversity Dish today. Sadie, it's so, so nice to be here. I'm excited for our conversation. Yes, I am. But before we get into any of that nitty gritty stuff, I would like for people to get to know you a little bit better. So could you tell us what is it that you're passionate about right now? I am passionate about helping people become their own best advocates. You know, when we talk about advocacy, people think a lot of different things. Some of them think that it's lobbying the legislature. Others think that it's something that only lawyers do. But the definition of that word is simply to publicly support something. And I want people to know that they have the tools at hand to advocate for themselves. And most importantly, that no one can do it better than they can. Right. Especially for themselves, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, I mean, even myself, I, I tell this story in my book that, you know, for 20 years, I advocated for my clients in the courtroom and I almost always won. I'm very good at it. And yet I never advocated for myself. And I found myself in a situation in tears in my car, um, wondering why it was that I didn't have so many of the things that I wanted in my relationships, at my work, financially. And I realized it was because I was putting all that time and effort into advocating for others and not into advocating for myself. And when I changed that, my life changed. Nice. Well, isn't that just typical kind of normal for women. We advocate for everyone around us. We do it so well, but then when it comes time to advocate for what we want or our needs or whatever it is, we have a hard time. 
Yeah. In fact, there's there's a lot of studies. There's an um, Harvard Business Review study that goes through that pretty specifically, that women are very good at advocating for others. And in fact, there's one study that's um, specific to negotiation, and it says that when women are negotiating on behalf of someone else, they will lie, but they won't lie when they're negotiating on behalf of themselves. <laughs> now, I'm not encouraging lying, but anything that you're willing to do for someone else, especially if it's a, it takes a hit to your ethics, you mm -hmm. certainly should be willing to do for yourself as well. Right. You would think, but <laughs> I can see how that would be very true. Um, especially when I consider, you know, um, when we have to advocate for our children, our parents, our friends, it's just incredible. When I just even look at myself, when I have to advocate for everybody else, I'm right there. But then when it comes for me, this something shifts and I go, well, can yeah. I, and, and should I, and really, you know, it's that questioning of, hey, how would it feel to use your talents in the cause of social justice? It's no secret that Black, Indigenous, queer, people of color, or those who are part of any marginalized group don't get a fair shake, experience systemic racism, and must work harder for the same rights and privileges that white people receive just by virtue of their race. We also know it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes that can get overwhelming. Where do we start to make a real difference? What we know we need are upstanders and advocates, people ready to stand up, take action, and spend their privilege to help others. If that's you, I want to invite you on a discovery date with me. Discovery date is a full day immersion in your passions, talents, and desires to help you create a blueprint of powerful, focused action where you'll make the most impact. On your date, we'll discover your strengths, we'll find your lane, and we'll begin your journey. It's just that simple. Discovery Dates with Sadie. If you want to know more, just go to sedrolamariska.com backslash discovery dash dates. Hey, what are you waiting for? Come on over. I'm waiting for you. What is that questioning? If I can ask you, put it on you. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's a couple of things. I think it's a lot of it is socialization. You know, not all of us have been taught to ask for what we want in an effective yep. way. Mm -hmm. um, some of it is sometimes, you know, there's um, there's some research about the what they call the entitlement gap between men and women. Um, mm -hmm. And it says that men feel entitled to raises and promotions and resources and women do not. And I think that men feel entitled to advocate for themselves and women do not. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a self-worth issue or knowing your value or a combination of those things, um, I, you know, I'm not sure. One of the things, CD, that I talk about in my book and with my clients is that we all have our juries. We have our outer juries, which are the clients, customers, friends, family, bosses that we need to persuade to get what we want. Mm -hmm. But we have our inner jury. And that's what we're talking about here. Your inner jury is the part of you that listens and chooses. Mm -hmm. She's not judgmental. She's not negative. So many people think our inner jury is that negative voice. She's not. She's listening and choosing he mm -hmm. or she. Mm -hmm. And that is the part of us that we need to persuade that we are worth advocating for. And once that work is done, the work of advocating becomes fun. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, tell me how you came to 
this work like? How did this, how did you discover this passion of yours? Well, I, you know, for 20 years, I've been advocating for my clients in the courtroom. And I also have a psychology degree. So I saw um, the psychology behind doing that. But what Mm -hmm. I really realized, CD, was that my superpower wasn't advocating for my clients, though I am good at that. My superpower was teaching them to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because I represent doctors when their patients sued them. Mm-hmm. And the jury doesn't want to hear from me. They want to hear from the doctor, the nurse, the tech, the PA mm-hmm. who laid hands on the patient, who had conversations with the patient. Mm-hmm. And so I had to give them the tools and the confidence and the credibility to turn to the jury and talk about what they did and why they did it. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that the work that I did with my clients then made them better doctors, they went back and were having better conversations with their patients. Were being more compassionate, more curious. I realized that we could all use these tools to become better advocates for ourselves. And then I started using them, as I mentioned, and saw my life change. And then everything just sort of became a mandate. Wow. I, what I find really interesting in what you just said, besides the fact that you've had, you know, your clients advocate for themselves is that after working with you and after being able to advocate for themselves at in the courtroom per se they went back and were able to do differently in their work mm. how does that work well these are these are tools that impact your personality the way you approach life so mm. some of the tools we're talking about are asking questions mm-hmm. and part of that is being curious right and so teaching the physicians and the nurses that I represented, the importance of questions and the importance of curiosity and seeing things through others' perspective, seeing things through the jury's perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, that stays with them. They see that when they're able to see things through the jury's perspective, they use different language. Mm -hmm. They approach the problem differently. It -hmm. becomes less defensive. And then they carry that into the office room with their patient. Mm -hmm. And they see things through their patient's perspective a little more easily. They work harder to do so. And then they work to one of the biggest problems in, in my world was what's called the curse of knowledge. You know, doctors know what they know so well that they forget what it's like not to know it. Right. And my juries tended to be people who may not have a high school education. Mm-hmm. And so we had to overcome that and not talk about things like osteomyelitis, right. but rather talk about bone infections, yeah. you know, and really, and that can be carried into the conversation with the patient in the office because it's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally see what you're talking about. So when we're talking about advocacy and in talking about advocacy, one of the things that I always say in terms of advocating, besides me advocating for my children is teaching them also to advocate for themselves, which is to ask questions or make your, your feelings known. But let's pivot just a little bit and let's talk about advocating in terms of inclusion, equity, and diversity, especially at work. What are, what's some of the advice that you would give? Well, let's start with what's some of the advice that you would give someone who is interested in being an ally or interested in being an anti-racist and wanting to advocate for this? How, yeah. how do they do it? 
Well, so I think there's a difference between being an ally and being an advocate, and they both have their place. Mm-hmm. But I think an ally is someone, you know, the, the root of the word is stand beside. Mm-hmm. An ally stands beside the person who is being discriminated against or not being included. An advocate speaks up for. So there is a difference when you're advocating, it's more active. It's more of a verb, although ally can be a verb advocate. You know, a lot of times people talk about, I am an advocate and that's fine, but I like the verb let's advocate. It's time to advocate, go advocate. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we recognize that it's incumbent on us to advocate for each other, just that realization will help us to become better at doing so. I also, you know, there's a couple of different areas of this that we can get into. One is there's a lot of research about um, bystander intervention. Some people call it upstander. But when mm-hmm. you see things like discrimination, harassment, bullying, all of those types of things, one of the few things proven to help is when someone else speaks up. And if you're talking about diversity, it's usually when someone of the quote unquote majority Mm-hmm. that speaks up, that does the, has the most impact. So if a person of color is being discriminated against or harassed mm-hmm. and a white person speaks mm-hmm. up for them and advocates for them, it tends to be extremely effective. If a mm-hmm. woman is being harassed and a man speaks up for them, mm-hmm. it tends to be very effective. And so if we know that that's effective, then why not teach people good ways to start doing that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I agree with that. And I know that that is so real because I think some of the things that happen sometimes, you know, when, when things are getting filmed, when things are happening and they're getting filmed, they're usually getting filmed by someone who is within that same uh, category. So someone who is, if, if it's a, a black person or if it's a Hispanic person that is being harassed or who is being, um, bullied in some way the people that are trying to help if they are of the same grouping they they aren't heard mm-hmm. as much as if someone from outside the group as you say a white person comes in and says hey what are you doing um you can't do that yep. so it's it's definitely a real thing so one of the things that i usually talk about is being an upstander or being someone who can advocate, who can be in a situation like that and advocate takes learning Mm -hmm. and it's important or it's, it's, it's really important to start learning that at an early age. Yeah. Because then it makes it easier. Then it becomes a normal conversation that you, you, you've already had, you already are set and able to speak up, how would you say, tell parents to speak to their children about being an advocate, not just for themselves, but for others? Like if they see something happening in terms of bullying or, you know, in, in, in that vein. Yeah. I love that you bring up this point because I, um, 
I have a blog that was actually very popular online about my first recollection of being an advocate was in fourth grade. Mm. And it was a situation where a little boy was being bullied on the bus. Mm. And the girl who was bullying him was a girl who bullied everyone. And to be mm. honest, CD, I was afraid to speak up because I was mm. afraid I was going to be the target of her bullying if I did. Right. But I made eye contact with the little boy and saw how much he was hurting. And there was just something in me that had to do something. Mm -hmm. And all I did, CD, was I asked her, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And that question disarmed her. Mm -hmm. Because how is she going to answer that? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm bullying him. I'm being mean. I'm being nasty. <laughs> right. Like, what do you answer? Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I talk to children about, and in my first book, The Elegant Warrior, a lot of people gave it to their young girls to read. And so I did a lot of speaking at schools and I talked to children about just asking questions because questions, qu first of all, questions are magic. They're one of the tools of an advocate yeah. and they are not as aggressive as like, stop that. Don't be mean. Stop bullying. I mean, kids oftentimes don't have the wherewithal to do that, nor should they, it could be yes. dangerous for them. Right. And so if, as for parents, I would recommend that they talk to their kids and try to prepare some questions that they would ask in those situations, almost like a script, because then that way in the moment when emotions are high and they don't know what to do, they fall back on that question. And the question might be, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. then, you know, you can talk to them about, getting an adult, bringing someone else into the situation. Mm -hmm. But I think the first thing that they have to know is that they are capable of making a difference if they mm -hmm. use their voices. Yes. And I think that that's something that, that needs to be reiterated, that kids need to know that you can make a difference using your voice, yeah. no matter how small you think it is, you can make a difference, which is why I think it's so incredible when we see ch children standing up and speaking at rallies for, you know, mm -hmm. climate change or Black Lives Matter or, you know, uh, police reform, all of these things. And you, we listen to them because yeah. we, first of all, we're in awe. We're like, how is this child thinking so deeply about these things? But at the same time that they're using their voice in ways that many adults can't right as we're as we're talking about advocacy and we're talking about speaking up for ourselves or we many adults can't do that yeah well and i think that that many adults can't do it as well as children do you know adults tend to be more defensive mm -hmm. they tend to be less curious less creative less imaginative and they also tend to perhaps not be as vulnerable in their tone of voice and their facial expressions and their body language. And these are all the tools of an advocate. Mm -hmm. So when you see a child speak up, they're often speaking from their heart and letting it show on their face and in their voices. And that resonates with us. There's a lot we can learn from children mm -hmm. about becoming more effective advocates. I love that because I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, so in advocacy, um, you've written a book, The Elegant Warrior. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So that was my first book. And that book is, um, it's a short and sweet little um, tome is what the Publishers Weekly <laughs> called it. And yeah. it, it has stories from the courtroom and how they apply to life. So I talk about things like complaints, which is how our cases begin and mm -hmm. how you can't 
nothing happens if you just sit with the complaint, you have to start moving and do something with it. I talk about asking questions. I talk about um, objections and then how they apply in life. The second book, Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want and Get It. That's the book Mm -hmm. where I dive into the specifics of how to actually use the tools of a trial attorney to change your own life. So the first book is sort of a broad overview and Mm -hmm. the second book is really much more prescriptive. Okay. And you also have a, a podcast of the same name, correct? Of, for the first book, The Elegant Warrior. That's right. I have a podcast where um, some episodes are just me talking about some of these tools. And then other episodes are me interviewing authors whose books I really enjoyed and who have struck me. And it's, um, we were talking before we turned it on. It's one of my favorite things to do is the podcast, especially when I get to interview. I'm a voracious reader. Yeah. And so when I get to interview authors, it lights me up. Nice. So the elegant warrior, how does that elegance and warrior come into play when we're talking about advocacy? It's such a great question because, um, and I have to, I'm, if you would let me tell you a story, it would help um, because it's the story behind that, the book and that title. Um, in my cases, the patients who sue their doctors are often injured and they're hurting. And as a human being, I feel for the patients who are hurting. Mm -hmm. And before we get to trial, I take depositions in order to ask all the questions that will give me information to then ask different questions at trial. Mm -hmm. And so in this particular case, the patient was a young man who had cystic fibrosis, which Mm -hmm. caused him to have all kinds of pain and anxiety, which led to stomach issues and a whole host of things. Mm -hmm. And he was suing because he said that he came to the hospital and saw my doctor and that he told my doctor that he was taking a certain amount of uh, an anti-anxiety medication and that my doctor gave him a different amount of anti-anxiety medication, which led him to have withdrawal seizures that broke four of his vertebrae. My doctor said, I gave him the exact dosage that he told me he was taking. So it was definitely a, he said, he said case. And I had to ask this young man some questions. Mm -hmm. When we got to his deposition, he was anxious, nervous, and sick. And he kept going to the bathroom and we couldn't get through two questions without him running to the bathroom. And we Mm -hmm. had to end the deposition. Mm -hmm. And a week or so later, we came back to do it again. And the same thing was happening. So I got down on his level, you know, he was sitting, I came over to his side of the table and I said, what can we, I do to help you? How can we make this deposition happen? Mm -hmm. And he said, I have on these big boots and they're so uncomfortable and they're making me hot. And I feel like if I didn't have these boots on, I could get through this deposition. And he was wearing those big Timberland boots, CD, the ones that with the yellow laces, you know, so I thought, looked at them and I thought to myself, I can handle this. So I untied Mm -hmm. his boots and he pushed and I pulled and we got his shoes off (laughs) and he was able to get through. Mm -hmm. And during his deposition, what he was telling me contradicted what was in the medical records and it contradicted what all of the nurses had said had happened. It contradicted what my doctor had said had happened. And so I knew the case was going to go to trial, that we weren't going to settle it. Mm -hmm. And about a year later, we went to trial and I had to cross-examine that young man. Mm -hmm. And before cross-examination, you know, I've got my hair in my ponytail, it's bobbing around, I'm doing all my prep, sitting at my table, you know, getting all in zone to Mm cross-examine. And the patient walked over with his mother and he said, mom, this is that nice lady I told you about, the one who was so kind to me when I was in so much pain that day and helped me with my shoes. Mm. And she said, oh, thank you so much for your kindness to my son and gave me a big hug. And then he walked up to the stand to testify. Mm -hmm. 
And we lawyers call the rooms where we prepare for trial war rooms. And we call the stories we tell about trial war stories. Right. And I am a warrior in the courtroom and I had mm-hmm. a job to do. Mm-hmm. And I always pride myself on, even if I have to take a patient's story, I don't take his dignity, mm-hmm. but I had to cross-examine him. And I did. And I knew, you know, he was contradicting himself. He was contradicting the records. He was contradicting the nurses. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from the jury's body language that we were winning. Mm -hmm. And yet that day I went to my car and I cried Mm. because who was I? Was I the elegant woman who got down on her knees to help a man in pain? Or was I the warrior who Mm. attacked a story in the courtroom? Mm -hmm. And who did I want to be? Mm -hmm. And I think that when we advocate, for ourselves and each other, we have to decide who we want to be. Mm -hmm. The root of the word elegance is to choose. It's the same root as the word elect. Mm. And so I think that before we advocate, we have to choose. Do I want to get down and dirty? Sometimes you do, you know, sometimes you Mm -hmm. do. Um, Or do I want to try to maintain my elegance as I fight this fight? You know, since I wrote this book, I I read the book, Fear Self-Compassion by, um, I think her first name is Christina Neff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she says that I think is helpful for this discussion is that anger, which is the warrior part of us, Mm -hmm. and that we often feel in those situations where we have to advocate, Mm -hmm. anger can be helpful. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, am I causing harm with my anger Mm -hmm. or am I preventing harm? with my anger. Mm-hmm. And Black Lives Matter is a perfect example of preventing harm mm-hmm. with anger. With anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's the perfect, you know, it's a tightrope. Walking mm-hmm. that tightrope between elegance and warrior. Mm-hmm. But walking it perfectly takes asking yourself that question about your anger. Mhm. I love that. I really love that because we, we're always choosing whether we realize it or not in every moment. And I, and I've said it, you know, before, but in every moment, we're always choosing something. And so to do it intentionally, to choose whether we're going to be elegant or the warrior or what's going to work for us or be an elegant warrior, as your, as the title says, is within our power to, to do and, and, and especially when I think of the issues right now that are going on in terms of social justice, equity, inclusion, there are so many conversations that need to be had and they need to be had in a way where everyone can hear mm-hmm. what's, what's being said. And that's not to say that people can't get angry. They need to be able to get angry because as humans, we need to be able to express our feelings but we can be angry, as you say, and still, are we doing harm with it or are we, are we preventing harm with it? Yep. Um, and so it's not the fact that we're getting angry, it's whether or not the person on the other end understands what the anger is aimed at. Yep. I think right? that that's, I think that that's right. I think that's right. And I think also the other thing I would add to that is, you know, there's 10 tools of an advocate in my book. And the last tool is argument. And there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. because argument really is the last resort. Mm -hmm. If you can, you know, one of the tools is perspective. If you can see things through the other's perspective, and that's really hard when we're talking about some of the issues involved in diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. right? It's very hard to see things through the perspective of someone who wants to 
mm-hmm. keep us in our places, you know? And sure. so, but, you know, so I'll give you an example from the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Every single person in the jury box is a patient. Mm-hmm. I have never had a juror who is a doctor. They mm. all see the case from a patient's perspective. Mm-hmm. And my job is to change their perspective. But I can't do that until I understand it. Because I can't mm-hmm. speak to them until I understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so as hard as it is, the most effective advocates are curious about the other side's perspective and try their best. This is one of my favorite things to tell people to do. Trade your defensiveness for curiosity mm-hmm. because that's how you're most likely to win. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean being weak. It doesn't mean allowing the other person to treat you poorly. It just means asking some questions and then using the answers to win. Exactly. Perspective is, it's so important. Perspective is so important. And it's one of the things that I teach when I do bias training, implicit mm-hmm. bias training, yeah. because one of the things that you can do to mitigate bias is to actually try to take someone else's perspective. Yeah. And something that someone can do to help you gain their perspective is to be able to draw you a picture of where they're coming from. Um, It's kind of that image you see where there's a six in a box, but it depends on which perspective you're looking at it. If you're standing at the top of the box, it looks like a nine. If you're standing Mm -hmm. at the bottom, it looks like a six. Who's right? Yeah. Right. Both are right, but you have to be able to see the perspective so that you can understand why you know, someone does certain things or why someone sees things in certain ways. Of course, it's never going to be 100%, but the more you can get someone to see your perspective, the better it is for any conversation that you're having, because then you can, you can, you're kind of going you're holding hands along the road, (laughs) you know, you're not, um, you're not walking past each other, which is, you know, so important. So yeah, I, I I definitely believe in, in perspective and making sure that people can see perspective and, and, and using it as a tool to get your point through, even if you're upset. Right. And I, th- I think that that's right. You, you make a great point about perspective, especially in the face of implicit bias. You know, when we can find, you know, there's, I've actually just been working on a um, training on implicit bias for some of my clients. And when you can find a shared perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and see each other as teammates on the same team, mm-hmm. when it comes to implicit bias, that's enormously helpful. And so you're absolutely right that you need to really explore that. That's why curiosity, I keep going back to that because it's mm-hmm. so important. You know, you have to be curious, where do we have something in common? You know, there's, um, I'm sure you know about this, but the implicit association test is um, something mm-hmm. that measures your implicit bias on a, yeah. on a bunch of scales, not just race, but also yes. weight, gender, is a huge one. weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Native American, uh, gender, mm-hmm. all, all of the various things. But, you know, if you look at all those various things and you imagine people who fall into those groups, of course you have things in common with them. And mm-hmm. when you focus on those, on the shared perspective that you have, 
studies show that that's one of the best ways to overcome implicit bias. And mm -hmm. so it's a yet another way to advocate. Mm -hmm. And if you're outside, you know, if you don't have that particular bias, you know, when I took those tests, some areas I was, um, I took them all mm -hmm. <laughs> and some, some areas I was pleased to see that I had little to no bias, others a little bit more, others a little bit less. And I know that in the areas where I'm strong, I need to be a stronger advocate. Mm. Because, and when I'm not strong, I need to be willing to be more curious and allow others to advocate to me mm -hmm. to persuade me to act and then think differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I love, I love that you just said that, that those areas in which you are strong are those areas that you need to advocate strong, strongly for others. Because I'm actually working on a program right now <laughs> where I'm saying to you know, potential um, clients or customers and saying, what if you were able to figure out what your big strength is, that superpower that you have that lights you up, that seems really easy to you, and you were to use that or channel it, you know, put get on that lane and use that to advocate for the social change in that area that you see has the most need. That's it. If you're able to do that, you don't, you don't have to look at the big wide world and say, oh my gosh, it's all overwhelming. I can't do anything. So you don't do anything. What you can do is say, this is my strength. This, I can do this really well. How can this that I can do really well be a key to social change? Mm -hmm. Because honestly, every gift, every superpower that we all have can be channeled into some area of social change because there are a lot of things that need to be done. That's right. So I love that, that you, that you said that, because I think it's so key. It's so important. Um, we get overwhelmed sometimes with what needs to be done and we get paralyzed. So rather than do that, let's not look at everything. Let's just look at this area and go, this is what I can do. So for you, that is advocacy. As you said, that is your superpower, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think advocacy, I think, you know, I talk about the five C's of an advocate. They also happen to be my values. Mm -hmm. They are connection, compassion, creativity, curiosity, and credibility. And I think my superpower is those five C's, but specifically, if I had to pick one or two, it would be curiosity and credibility. Mm -hmm. um, your most recent guest, and his name is escaping me, but he was amazing. He was a West Point grad who oh, works. Uh, Daryl. Oh, mm -hmm. wonderful. And he talked about, I think that one of the things he talked about as his superpower was believing. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of what you're talking about here, CD, is that you have to believe in yourself. You know, I always say you can't advocate until you believe. If you mm -hmm. don't believe in change, that change is possible. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be a good advocate for change. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that things can be different, you're not going to be a good advocate. If you don't believe that everyone deserves to be equal, you're not going to be a good right. advocate for equality. And <laughs> so, and if you don't believe that you have the tools to do it, you mm -hmm. won't be as strong in doing it. And mm -hmm. so I think that you, the point you just made is part of your credibility is believing mm -hmm. that you can be a strong advocate and that mm -hmm. no one can do it better than you can. Right. And I think my superpowers are curiosity. I love to ask questions and credibility. I love to help myself believe in myself mm -hmm. and help other people believe in me as well. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, it's a uh, credibility is huge. And I, and it's, um, especially, you know, I go back to that inner jury with yourself, yes. right. You yes. need to believe before you, you know, before you can prove it, you have to believe it. And so to really help people to believe in you, you have to start with you. And, um, and it can be done the same way, you know, uh, the way that I talk about doing it, well, there's a bunch of steps and I won't get into all of them, but it's making yourself promises and keeping them setting yourself mm-hmm. expectations and owning them mm-hmm. and, and, and meeting them and then owning it when you can't, mm-hmm. you know, being compassionate with yourself and saying, well, I didn't do it today, but I'll do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of it is I encourage my clients to keep an evidence journal and every day, write down evidence of all the ways in which they are a strong advocate, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and what transferable skills, you know, if you're listening and you're a mom and you might think, well, I'm not good at this. How many times do you publicly support your children? As we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, Um, you know, you might say that I'm not good at um, organizing my thoughts. Well, Mm -hmm. you do that when you present something to the child's teacher, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to look for transferable skills in different areas to help you build up that evidence of your credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the idea of an evidence journal for sure. Uh, I have another, uh, uh, idea that was that I picked up on as well, which is an um, a success journal, mm, because we don't tend to we tend to let all the little successes go as if they don't matter, mm-hmm. but we they do matter, and we need to make sure that we that we celebrate those smallest successes because they lead to the bigger successes. And when you stumble, it's good to look back at those successes and realize, you know what, I did that. I can do this other thing. And so I think it's kind of the same, kind of the same idea, keeping in mind those things that you're good at, you know, that make you, you, you are worthy of what you're advocating for. You are worthy to actually celebrate yourself and to be kind to yourself and to ask for what you want. Um, I think it's that worthiness sometimes that we, that we forget is there for us as well as everyone else. Yeah. And I think, you know, it brings us back to where we began, which is that the whole idea of um, the worthiness is what allows us to advocate for ourselves. And so keeping that, whether it's a success journal or an evidence journal, they're very similar things. Mm-hmm. It helps to remind us of that. Yes, it helps to remind us of that. Absolutely. So is there anything that you would like to answer that I probably didn't ask you, but that you'd like to go ahead and share with us today? Well, I love that question. It's a great question. And it brings me to um, one thing that I always like to share. And I wish I could claim that it was my um, thought, but it's really, but it's really not. But the question you just asked, which is, you know, is there anything that you want me to ask is very similar to a question that I've seen change people's lives. I have the opportunity sometimes to be an anchor at the Law and Crime Network. That's where they stream trials and hearings for people to watch and we analyze them. Mm-hmm. And we streamed the hearing of Larry Nasser, who was the doctor accused of molesting all those young female gymnasts. Mm-hmm. And um, 
at the beginning of that hearing, we only planned to stream it for one day because only a few women intended to come forward and most of them weren't going to use their names and faces. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make for great television. Right. Um, <laughs> however, at the end of that hearing, over a hundred women had come forward mm-hmm. and most of them had used their names and faces. And I attributed that to the judge. Her name's Judge Rosemary Aquilina. Mm-hmm. And there was one question that she asked the women that I thought changed everything. She, mm. as each woman came forward, she didn't say what happened to you. She didn't say, why are we here? She didn't say, why are you here? Mm -hmm. She said to each woman, tell me what you want me to know. Mm -hmm. And some told them about the impact of the molestation on their family, on their health, on their careers, Mm -hmm. on their psyche. They told her what they wanted her to know. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to the question you asked me, tell me Mm -hmm. what you want me to know. That question can help you be such a strong advocate. I can't pretend to know your experience, CD. Mm-hmm. I can't pretend to see things through your perspective. Mm-hmm. And if I want to advocate for you, the best way to do so is to say to you, tell me what you want me to know. What do mm-hmm. you actually want? It might mm-hmm. not be what I think you want. Right. And so that is something that I like to leave people with. I always say, you know, I, it, I write about that in my first book, The Elegant Warrior, and I get so much feedback on that. And I always tell Judge Aquilina, I mean, they like you better than they like me, these, <laughs> <laughs> these readers of mine, but, uh, but it's okay because it's life-changing and that's what the book is meant to do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh. Um, my pleasure. Yeah. I always, you know, I just always think that I don't always know the answers to ask so the questions to ask. So mm-hmm. I say, you know, if you came and there was something you wanted to share, please share. Yeah. So Thank you for sharing that. It's brilliant. So as you know, my final question to all my guests is what is your favorite dish? (laughs) I love that because I love, um, I love the whole idea of your podcast that, you know, small bites, sometimes a la carte. I just think it's fabulous. I, oh, it's so hard to say. Um, (laughs) I went through years of being vegan. So the first thing that comes to mind is rice and beans because that was such a staple of my diet when I was vegan. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I really love is um, peaches and cream for dessert. Oh, that's so yummy. I love peaches and cream. Oh, I love rice too. and beans too. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to get together in real life and have some of both. Yes, that sounds delightful. Oh, thank you so much for being here with me, Heather. It's been a pleasure. And, and I really appreciate everything that you've shared. I'm sure it's going to change someone's life out there. I, I hope so. And, and that's the opportunity that we have when we have these conversations. And I'm so grateful for them. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share. It would also mean the world to me if you became a patron over at Patreon. The information is in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.